0: Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Luke 23 and verse 26. Luke records that As the soldiers led him away, They seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him they said he saved others let him save himself if he is god's messiah the chosen one the soldiers also came up and mocked him they offered him wine vinegar and said if you are the king of the jews save yourself there was a written notice above him which read this is the king of the jews one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him aren't you the messiah It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Father, we have sung that all those whose destinies dust will humbly kneel before your throne. We cannot keep ourselves alive, but depend on you alone. Father, give us a right perspective on our dependence on Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, over the next few months, students across the country will be gearing up for exams, standard grades, hires university exams and I'm slightly sad to say that I will be joining them as well as I continue my own studies. They make us feel like that. Nobody likes exams. Some people feel under the most enormous pressure. They believe that their their complete future hangs in the balance. If they don't achieve a particular grade in a particular subject then, then it will all be over. They will have no future. Now, look, it's good to work hard, and a bit of pressure probably isn't a bad thing. But the reality is, whatever the results, it won't actually be the end of the world. There aren't actually that many things in life that truly, really will affect the rest of life. And maybe if you marry or not... Or having children or not. Those are the sort of decisions that that will affect the rest of life. But there aren't actually that many decisions like that. But today we'll look at one event in history that is that significant. More significant in fact. As we look at... The death of Jesus on the cross, we'll be looking at what Luke, the author, believes is the most significant event in all history. And he believes that what you decide about the cross, how you respond to the cross, is so momentous. It won't just affect your life for the next 10 or 30 or 50 years, it will affect your entire existence for all of eternity. So let's jump into the story. And here's the first important heading. The crime of the cross. I look back to verse 26. There's a procession of people. They're moving up towards the cross and a man called Simon is is made to carry the cross. And there are huge crowds following verse 27. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. And then verse 28, when you might expect Jesus to be concerned about his own suffering, he turns to the women and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Seems a slightly unexpected thing for Jesus to say at this moment in time, but do you see what's going on here? Jesus is pointing to a time in the future of excruciating agony and pain, not for him but for others. At a time that will be so painful that, that women would wish they'd never given birth and subjected their kids to it all. Jesus points to a time when when death will feel preferable to life. Why? Well, look, in leading Jesus, God's own son, out to be crucified, he's saying that the human race would bring on itself a most terrible judgment. Even at a most basic level, you see what a broken, mixed up world we live in. See, back in verse 18, before our our reading today, this bunch of people have cried, called for a guilty terrorist, a murderer, to be released, and for Jesus, an innocent man, to be executed. What a messed up world. You see what mankind is capable of, the sort of depravity that we will sink to. And you see how Jesus goes on in verse 31. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? It's an unusual saying. What does Jesus mean? Here's what one Bible commentator says. He says, if citizens living in a reasonably civilized society under a fairly stable government can overrule the government and insist on the execution of an innocent man, not to mention the fact that he was God's own son and their Messiah, what kind of behaviour will prevail in a society that's lost all respect for justice, law, morality, religion and God? It may take a long while to turn a green tree into a dried-up trunk, a paradise into a desert, but bleed the moral life sap of a nation and the result, however long delayed, is inevitable. I guess they're frightening words because we, like the people of Jesus' day, also live in a reasonably civilised and stable part of the world. And yet we as individuals and our government in recent years have made decisions which are fundamentally contrary to God's word seems as if our own green and pleasant land could be on the way to becoming a dried-up stump of a nation, at least according to Jesus. So even at a most basic level here in Luke's Gospel, a righteous man, a good man, is being betrayed to death. And under God's law, the perpetrators need to suffer judgment themselves. Of course, there's so much more going on here. They were not just killing an innocent man that they were putting to death God's Messiah, the Son of Man the King of the Jews as the sign read isn't it so perverse what happens when when God himself comes to earth God, the the good gracious God, the maker of all things the giver of every good gift what, what happens when he steps down among us we kill him That's what we did to Jesus, the gracious God, who came, as we saw last week, to seek and save the lost. And do you see the logic here? If you reject, if you do away with, if you execute the one who's come to save you, well, what hope is there of being saved? It's almost as if you were drowning in the sea, and a helicopter comes to rescue you and you not only refuse to get in the helicopter but you shoot it down reject the only form of rescue and what have you got left? you are doomed that's a decision which affects our future forever do you see the worst thing we could do is to reject Jesus And yet we're surrounded, aren't we, by a culture, by a world, by people on every side who think that Jesus is not relevant. And they certainly don't think that he's the king, the messiah. And you almost get the picture here that that it's the same for Jesus. He is surrounded on every side by people who don't believe in him. Verse 35, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at them. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's God's messiah There are three groups of people here around Jesus. And it's as if these three groups represent the whole world. Verse 35, you've got the crowd and their rulers. Verse 36, the soldiers. Verse 39, the criminals. In those three groups, you have the whole world represented. There is Jew and Gentile. You've got leaders and people. You've got professionals and laborers. You've got religious and not. You've got moral and immoral. You've got upright citizen and convict The whole world is represented there. And isn't it striking? They all respond to Jesus in the same way. So end of verse 35, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah. Or verse 37, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Or verse 39, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. I guess that the the similarity, the, the, the almost identical responses is, is not supposed to be lost on us. Each group is saying the same thing. Each group questions Jesus' identity. You're not the Messiah. And each group questions Jesus' ability to save. You can't save us. They're all saying you're not the Messiah and you cannot save us. And so each group sneers at Jesus. that they, they reject him. You're not even able to save yourself. How can you save anyone else? The point here is that everyone, everyone rejects Jesus, the Messiah, even the religious, even the respectable, even the apparently moral people. It's such a perverse thing that, that God stepping down into earth would, would be rejected by all people. It makes us ask the question why? Why are we like that? <sighs> It is an inconvenient truth for us, isn't it, that there is a God. Right back at the beginning of the Bible, in the garden, Adam and Eve rejected God. They'd rather run things themselves. They didn't want to know. They wanted to decide how to run their lives. They wanted to know, to be able to decide what right was, what wrong was. It was an inconvenient truth for them that God was there. And ever since we've been the same by nature, we'd rather just push him away. God is an inconvenient truth for us. See, we need to include ourselves here. Don't think if you were there that you would have reacted any differently if you were in the crowd that day. This Stuart Townend song says it well. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Doing away with the inconvenient truth, pushing God away. That's the crime. That's the crime of the cross. That God has come himself to earth, lived a perfect life, acted with such generosity and compassion, come to seek and save the lost, That's what we've been seeing him do these last four weeks. And what do we do to a God like that who steps into a world like ours? We crucify him. And that is the crime of the cross. It shows you how perverse we can be. And yet, ironically, the crime of the cross shows you all the more that we need the compassion of the cross. That's our second heading, the compassion of the cross. Having just described it the way I have, I I guess it would be easy to see Jesus' death as just a tragic event, an innocent man, wrongly executed by, by a sinful rabble. Of course, on one level, that's true. But there is something else, something much bigger, something much more wonderful happening too. Remember, of course, that that Jesus is not here on the cross or here in Jerusalem by mistake or, or as a victim. We saw last week, if you were here, that Jesus has spent chapter after chapter in Luke's gospel heading deliberately, decidedly towards his death in Jerusalem. He's kept on saying this. No, Jesus is in charge here. Jesus has decided to be here. Jesus has come willingly to his own death. And he's already explained several times to his disciples that that the whole purpose of coming here to Jerusalem was to die. Why? Because Jesus knows what we're like. He knows that we are sinful people. And that sinful people deserve his judgment. And that God is just and sin must be punished. And that the punishment for sin is death and judgment. And yet, and yet, God in his love also desires that his people be forgiven. How does he square that circle? Well, he comes here to the cross, dying. Dying. Taking on himself the punishment that ought to have been ours. And so, do you see how all of the insults hurled at Jesus are so desperately ironic? Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. The desperate irony is that he is the Messiah. But he refuses to save himself. He refuses to come down off the cross because he is there to save us. And he can even pray for his own executioners Father, forgive them. They think that that because he's being crucified on a cross, he cannot possibly be the Messiah. And he cannot possibly save anyone. And the huge irony is that he is the Messiah. And because of that, he has gone to the cross in order to save people, even people like them. Isn't it wonderful? That's what Jesus is doing on the cross. That's the compassion of the cross. And then lastly, there's the call of the cross. Just rewind a moment. Remember that there are all these different uh, characters standing around, looking at the cross, hurling insults, rejecting Jesus. That was the crime of the cross. But there is one who responds differently. And ironically, he's a criminal. Verse 39. Verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But, verse 40, the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We're punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me In paradise, Luke calls him the other criminal. We don't even know his name. But do you see the compassion of the cross in action? Do you see that because of the cross, God's judgment need not fall on us? Jesus was able to promise this guy, this criminal, not judgment, but forgiveness, not eternal death, but eternal life in paradise. Do you see as well that, that the cross always, always elicits a response from us? Everyone, everyone in this story makes a response to the cross. Most just hurl insults. Most are, are glad to push God, the inconvenient truth, out of the picture. But this one criminal is different. Why? Well, firstly, verse 40, because he feared God. Don't you fear God, he said, since we're under the same sentence and we've seen that that we also are under the same sentence the sentence of death and judgment and that should make us fear God I have conducted two funerals this week death will come to all of us and when it does we will come face to face with our God. The question is, will we be ready to meet him? The, the inevitability of, of death should be a, a wake-up call for us to think of these things and to fear God. But it is remarkable how we go through most of our lives, not only ignoring death, but refusing to talk about it. And never really facing up to it. We love to pretend it's not going to happen. On the 24th of June, 1982, which I'm sorry to say was before I was born, a a Boeing 747, flight number BA-009, flew into a cloud of volcanic ash southeast of Jakarta, Indonesia. Uh, It resulted in sudden catastrophic failure, all four engines gone, and as the engines flamed out and and the flight crew immediately performed, the engine shut down, quickly shutting off the fuel supply and, and arming the fire extinguishers. Amazingly, the aircraft was able to glide far enough to exit the ash clouds. And then, astonishingly, to restart three of the four engines. And the plane landed safely. But as the drama was unfolding, that the situation seemed so bleak that many of the passengers, thinking they were sure to die, took out a pen and paper and wrote notes to their loved ones. One young boy, however, was too busy to write. He was looking out the window and seeing that the engines were on fire, and he exclaimed in horror to his dad, look, the engines are on fire. To which his dad astonishingly replies, well, you better pull the window blind down and pretend it isn't happening. It's unbelievable, isn't it? And yet it's not unbelievable, because that's what we do all the time. We're going to die, we know that, but, but we pull the window blind down and pretend it's not happening. Even faced with the reality of death, do we refuse to do as the criminal did and fear God? The criminal was honest with himself. He knew he was about to meet his maker. But he was also honest about himself. Verse 41, we are being punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. He knew he wasn't perfect. And that's true of us too, isn't it? but we find it hard to acknowledge. The criminal knew, on the other hand, verse 41, that, that Jesus was innocent and that Jesus, verse 42, is a king. Look what he says there. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And do you see how that's in, in direct contrast to, to all the other responses around the cross, all the other, just, just poor scorn on the idea that Jesus was a king. But this criminal recognized who Jesus was, God's innocent king. And so, in great contrast to all the other characters, he realized that Jesus, God's king, could save. And so he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, save me. So do you see that the cross calls you To some kind of response. Everybody makes some kind of response. Whether they're just indifferent like the crowd looking on. Or or, or insulting and mocking like the rulers and the soldiers. But this criminal is our model. He's our example. Here in this criminal is the right response to the cross. He sees that he's a great sinner in need of a great saviour. And he sees that Jesus has lived a perfect life. He sees that Jesus is God's innocent king. And so he sees that Jesus is able to save. In fact, that Jesus is on the cross to save. So let me ask you today, how do you respond Do you see the cross that way? Will you see the cross that way? It calls us to fear God, who we will one day meet as our judge. It calls us to see who we are. Our status as sinners, far from perfect, needing a saviour. And yet the cross shows you that Jesus has come. Haven't we seen this, these last Four weeks jesus has come to seek to save the lost and so finally we see in all its fullness how he does that dying in our place on the cross for our sin and the only question is what kind of a response will you make to the cross heavenly father we thank you for the wonderful generous gracious sacrifice of jesus So we think of him there and all those who told him to come down if he was the Messiah. Thank you for our sake, for the sake of love. He remained. And we thank you for this criminal who is our model of a right response. Father, help us to be people who respond like him, seeing our need and calling on the Saviour for help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Birkhead Free Church on your favourite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to birkheadfreechurch.org.